Good morning. Good to be back. That promise that he read for scriptures is a very precious promise to a king. Thank you, dear. I will need it. Uh, a very precious promise to make his rule permanent. Every king was concerned, how long shall I rule? What will happen to me after I die? You remember what was Nebuchadnezzar's problem? He was going to bed and he was meditating on what will happen when I die? Will my children inherit the throne? And that's still an issue, brother, permanence, security. So that was a very precious promise the Lord gave to the king of Israel who ultimately built the two golden calf. Sad story. Let's bow our heads for opening prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we have come to your house to worship you, but first of all to learn from you. Please send your Holy Spirit and let each one be anointed by him. The listeners first and the speaker too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago when I was here, you remember I spoke about the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And if you remember, I help your memory. I don't expect to remember everything. I am very sympathetic with individuals who struggle with a failing memory because I'm struggling with it all the time. But you remember, <clears throat> the Jewish leaders made or tried to make it sure that Jesus will stay in that grave and never come forward. They had a big stone rolled at the entrance of that sepulcher, put a Roman seal over it, so you don't dare to tinker with it. And in addition, they asked Roman soldiers to stand guard. And in addition to that, if you read early writing, lots of fallen angels were there too. So angels and men tried to make sure that Jesus will never come forth. It's still an issue for some. It's still an issue for some. But I hope it's not an issue for you, brother. I honestly hope. You have to read it in early writings. I, I really enjoy reading those stories. I'm getting like a little boy or girl who loves stories from mom and dad. and just I just love Bible stories especially. And as I read this, it was still dark. The soldiers were there. 
angels, fallen and unfallen, a big number, watching. And suddenly, a mighty angel came from heaven, and his face was like lightning. And the scripture says that the Roman soldiers fell to the ground like dead men. Couldn't do any guarding anymore. You follow? But not only the Roman soldiers, if you read it carefully, the fallen angels too, running for their lives. One of the mighty angels walked into the sepulcher on wrapped to Jesus. And then the mighty angel who came from heaven just stood at the entrance and said the following words. Jesus, the Son of God, your Father calls you. And Jesus walked out. Because he had life original, life underived, unborrowed. While he was on earth, you remember, he said, I have power to lay down my life, and I have power to take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. Nobody. Do you follow that? Do you remember that? Of course, the disciples did not. And of course, they didn't understand many things that they should have. Had they understood, they would not have been so desperate. And brethren, that speaks to us too. Ignorance is dangerous. Dangerous. So... Jesus came forth by the life that was in him, original, unborrowed, underived. But remember, he died. Now, I mentioned last time I was here that Muslims teach officially that Jesus did not die. You remember? I'm just refreshing your Good memory or bad memory? I don't know. Either way, it's important to remember. Jesus died. The scripture says he died. The Son of Man died. The Son of God did not die because divinity is not able to die. Now, brethren, don't ask this poor man here standing in front of you to explain. I don't understand. Don't knock it over, ego. I don't understand. It is, it is beyond our understanding. You know, there are something that we should understand, we don't, but this is beyond human understanding. But we are told that when it comes to divine revelation, divine revelation stands above human reason. And human reason has to bow reverently Thus says the Lord. Are you with me so far? And it is so beautiful that 
inspiration tells us. Those holy angels, as Jesus came forth, just, just, just fell on the ground, face down, and worshipped him. Now, you remember, Jesus was more than once attempted to execute, to be executed because he claimed divinity or the sonship. And they said, you blaspheme. And these unfallen holy angels had no question. They fell down and worshipped him and sang songs. Now, this morning, I like to share with you especially two stories from the Bible illustrating demoralization and its consequences, demoralization. And it's not only people on in the gutter down there, you know, alcoholics, no control over themselves and just go into the ditch and do bad things. People high up, high up in the political echelon are demoralized. So I like to share two stories. One is Absalom's. The second one is Jehu. And the third one is an altogether different story. That's Daniel 12. So Absalom, Jehu, and then Daniel 12. Uh, it looks like that clock is correct. Uh, I have, what, about two hours, two and a half? <laughs> <clears throat> now, about, uh, I will not abuse your patience, okay? <clears throat> the scripture says about Absalom that in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty from the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head there was no blemish no blemish I don't know if I have the courage to say, but please don't pick up stones. We gentlemen enjoy beauty in the weaker sex. Is that correct? If we are honest, no, I mean, thank you. At least there is one man who had the courage to say amen. <laughs> But it is a fact whether you admit it or not, brethren. It is a fact. 
I am 85 and I am still looking from a distance with restraint and behold beauty. But here is a handsome man. And I'm sure many of the ladies in Israel admired him. Naturally, naturally, there is nothing wrong to admire beauty. As long as you know your limits. Are you with me, brother? You don't let your fantasy go wild and begin to imagine things. Philippians 4.8. He was handsome. Uh, I like to put in something here just as a novelty. I was in college. At one time, there were five of us Hungarians at the same college, going to school together, five of them. And there was one man. We were somewhat envious because he was really handsome. The girls turned around when he walked by. But the problem that Solomon, not Solomon, Absalom was handsome but corrupt. Brethren, when the two are together, it's fatal. Beauty and corruption. Now you remember... Absalom killed his brother Amnon because Amnon raped his sister who was a beautiful woman and Absalom ran for his life. He spent three years in a neighboring kingdom the scripture tells us. I am just telling you Uh, you can go to Second Samuel and read the story there. When you go home, please go and study it for yourself. I just like to call attention to high points in this story to help us not to repeat his mistakes, not to repeat somebody else's mistakes. We are looking for beauty of character that is superior to outward physical beauty. So Absalom was three years away and Joab, the general of the armies, perceived that David longed for his son. And We just studied it last week or the week before in our Sabbath school lesson. It was in our Sabbath school lesson that David, not David, Joab, brought a woman, fetched a woman of Tekoa who was known for 
her wisdom. And this woman began to tell a story to the king. I had two sons. My two sons got into a fight and one killed the other. And now they try to kill the one who is still alive. So I will be deprived both of my sons. And was pleading with the king. And I, I love the story. I love good stories. I don't know how it is with you. I love good stories. Thank you, brother, whoever you are. I am not alone. <laughs> and finally, David says to her, hey, tell me the honest truth. Promise you tell me the honest truth. And she says, let the king speak, and I promise to answer and give you the honest truth. And then David says, did Joab put those words in your mouth? And then she says, sure, sure. But the king granted her request. Send Joab to the foreign land, bring Absalom home. But reconciliation was not yet done. You remember for two years, Absalom had to to live in quarantine like we live today. He was not allowed to come in the presence of the king. Then Absalom asked his servants, go and put to fire the, RP, uh, the barley fields. I said it in Hungarian and I apologize. I, I realize you don't have the gift of tongues, not yet. I have stayed with English. And Joab comes to Absalom and says, How come? How come you burned down my barley field? And Absalom says, Yes, because I, I am home, but I am in quarantine. What does it help? If I cannot go into the presence of the king. So, Joab intercedes again. Now, it's very important in the story that you see that the very man who brings about the reconciliation ultimately kills Absalom. Are you with me? Very important. But we... Sometimes ignore it. So, <clears throat> um, there is some reconciliation, and then Absalom starts his scheming. As people begin to come to the king for judgment, you remember he sets on the way before they reach the king. He runs to them, greets them, kisses them, and compliments them. Your case is good, but there is nobody to help you. Oh, how I wish somebody would make me a judge in Israel. I would do justice. Now, let me ask you one thing 
if you follow the political slogans. Have you heard the expression, the common good? The common good? Brethren? That's what Absalom was basing his campaign on. The common good. I would do justice. I would do better than President Trump. Okay, and this is not a political speech. Please, ignore it. By the way, the election is not quite over yet. but uh, We will see what the Supreme Court will decide or whoever. I don't know, but... There is much corruption, brethren. There is much corruption. <coughs> now, what is the word that Absalom uses just at that time? He said that Second Samuel fourteen thirty two if there be any iniquity in me, let David kill me. Are you following me, brethren? Pretending the highest ethical standard or claiming which he didn't have. But he claimed it. If there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. There was iniquity which came to the surface a little bit later as history developed. But at that moment, it was not obvious. And uh, when it comes to the final event in history, Many things will come to surface that we did not suspect. Did not suspect. Not the Chinese communists, but fellow church members. That's more serious. I like the story how David responds First of all, how Nathan, the prophet, handles this critical issue. It's such a beautiful story. Every time I read it and reread it, it it impresses my heart. Sincere, simple, to the point. There were two men. One had one sheep and was very dear to him, slept with him, fed him, whatever else. And the other rich man had many sheep. You remember the story. And the visitor came and the rich man took the poor man's only sheep. And David says, that man has to die. And restore it fourfold. And Nathan says, you are 
the man. But brethren, David could have executed Nathan, but he didn't. He wrote one of the most beautiful psalm of repentance, Psalm 32. If you read Steps to Christ, and where the spirit of prophecy speaks about true repentance, true repentance, cites David's word as he was walking on the ridge of the mountain, barefoot, uncovered, crying. It brings tears to my heart when I read that David was the dearest to the Lord while he was walking there and confessing his sin. But he was running for his life. You remember? He was running for his life because Absalom was marching on the city. I like you to remember the word of Nathan. Very important. It's, it's a salvational issue, brethren. It's a salvational issue. Nathan says, the Lord also has, because David said the man has to die, correct? You remember, David said, okay, who had done this has to die. And Nathan says, the Lord also has put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. The Lord put away your sin. Zechariah 3, if you read Zechariah, how the high priest stands before the Lord and the Lord gives a command to take off his filthy garment, put on clean, new garment, a new head cover, and so on and so on. So, the word of the Lord to David was, the Lord has put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. But the news came to David that even Ahitophel, Ahitophel was among the conspirators. Now this man was famous in all Israel for his wisdom, for his counsel, David used him. And the scripture says is Ahitophel's word were almost like the words of the good Lord. But history tells us it's not so. Are you with me, brethren? And we have to be able to distinguish between the prophetic word and human words. It is a salvation issue. It is a salvation issue. Now, Ahitophel had some reason to be disappointed. After all, Bathsheba was his granddaughter. 
Are you with me? And all the injustice that David has done to the family justly upset Akitofer too. Have you been offended? Have you been hurt by fellow church members? Nobody. I mean, you are a special congregation. Nobody ever disappointed you. Brooklyn is a special church. <laughs> but I don't believe you. <clears throat> what was David's prayer? Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Achitophel into foolishness. I am summarizing the story. You know the story well, but I am simply refreshing your memory. What was Achitophel's counsel at that critical night or afternoon? He said to Absalom, give me 10,000 men. I go right now. I kill David and I bring back the people because the permanency of your kingdom depends on whether this man is alive or dead. Are you following me? In other words, there is no security as long as your father lives. He has to be killed. But brethren, Israel was still under theocracy, correct? And it was God who decided who is going to be the king, when and whom I grant forgiveness. It is my privilege. It is still his privilege, correct? And let's not try to deny him that. Let's not try to take it into our hands. Achitophel was fighting against a prophetic word. What was the prophetic word of Nathan? The Lord has removed your iniquity. And you will not die. Achitophel says, give me 10,000 men. I will follow him. I will kill him and bring back the people. And your kingdom will be secure. Security is a big thing today. And we have less and less and less security. Financially, politically, politically, even in church membership sometimes. Do you follow me? Inspiration tells us that Achitophel's counsel was good for the destruction of David. I just read it in the spirit of prophecy. Last night, as I was preparing the sermon, I did not prepare my sermon last night, okay? I was thinking on this topic for a while, but I was rereading some historical events. 
And the spirit of prophecy says, unless the Lord intervened, Ahitophel would have killed David. But the Lord hands rose in history as his hand is in history now here at COVID-19. And I don't know if I dare to say, but I I say it anyhow. I am somewhat disappointed when my own Hungarian congregation is debating whether we should close the church or not. I'm glad you have the hymnals out. You are singing. I better don't say more because I will be called to the carpet. (laughs) Now, a good Hungarian friend of mine from California dedicated conscientious Seventh-day Adventist. Send me this email. Listen carefully. I read it. Listen carefully. Attempting to reason with demoralized people. Now, brethren, there is a conscientious effort to demoralize this nation. Let me read. There, they are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to a certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their minds. We are speaking about demoralized people. You cannot change their mind. Excuse me. Even if you expose them to authentic information, if you, even if you prove that white is white and black is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. You know the story of Absalom? He was hanging on a tree and one of Joab's soldiers came and reported to Joab, we found Absalom. And Joab asked, why didn't you kill him? Oh, he said, I would have rewarded. No, we heard the king what he said. Joab took his arrows, walked there, and he killed Absalom.
California megachurches rebanned as family-friendly strip clubs to protest states' COVID-9 restriction. There is a report that at least two megachurches. Are you listening? Two megachurches. Change the name of the church because according to California law, stripped clubs are exempt from the COVID lockdown, but the churches are not. Are you following me, brother? This is here. That's report. Stripped clubs are exempt, essential for living. The church isn't essential for living. And they said, what a hypocrisy. What a stupidity. Demoralization. So these two pastors had the courage. Says, oh, we we will rename our church. And this is a new name. You know, to qualify to be open. Uh, here it is. We strip the devil of his hold, power, and authority over people's life. And the pastor just took off his necktie, threw it to the congregation. The congregation clapped and said, this is it. <laughs> we are legally meeting as church. But brethren, it is a serious issue. It is a serious issue. I believe we are preparing for the loud cry. And so does the devil and his servants. And does everything possible to Scare us. Scare us. And I'm scared too. Not of the Chinese communists, not of the Russian communists. I came from Hungary where we were under Russian occupation after World War II. No, I am scared of myself. Lord, am I truly converted so that when the test comes to me, will I be loving you supremely? That's an issue, brethren. That's an issue. Now, briefly... 
Let me summarize the other story. When do you have to leave? The Lord asked Elijah to do certain things, but because he got scared of Jezebel, he ran for his life. And what he should have done, he didn't do. So time passed, years passed, and God's judgment was postponed, not canceled, postponed. And, uh, but the day came when the Lord says, now, Elijah, I'm going to take you, but you anoint in your place, Elisha, you anoint XYZ in Syria to be the new king, and you anoint Jehu to carry out my judgment. A fascinating story. If you, if you really like to read, interesting story, full of lessons. Read the story of Jehu. So, but it was no longer Elijah, it was Elisha, and he himself didn't do it either. But he sent one of the school uh, students from the schools of the prophets. You know, I I admired the story. Because here was a teenager attending the schools of the prophets, but faithfully carrying out the instruction. So the young boy goes to Ramoth Gilead. There are the generals together drinking apple cider. Maybe it was more than apple cider. And the young student speaks to to the group. And he says, Prince, I have something to tell you. But they said, we are at least four or five here. Which one? He says, Jehu, you are the one I need to speak to. But we have to do it in privacy. See, the little boy took him in into the room and did exactly what Elisha told him to do. Brethren, there is a lesson. When the prophets tell us something to do, the only safe course is to do exactly as the prophet tells us to do. Are you with me? Thank you, brother. I agree with you. We agree. He takes a little oil and pours it over Jehu's head and then quotes the words of Elijah, who who is already in heaven. What he will do, what he will do. 
Now, when Jehu comes out from that little room, and there is something here that I think it should not be overlooked because it reveals the mentality of these high-ranking military Maybe our military in the United States too. But that's speculation. They asked Jehu, what did this little crazy boy wanted to do? They considered him crazy. But he was a prophetic messenger. He delivered the message faithfully. And finally, Jehu told them, yes, this is what he said. They immediately got in line and asked that Jehu rules, he is a king, and he started to execute the judgment. I'm not going into detail. Uh, it's cruel. What Jehu did was cruel. But so was what Jezebel did a few decades earlier. You follow me? With the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, to the last Two chapters. And uh, there are two verses that are extremely significant. I put on the margin outside. Outside. First, Revelation 20, verse 8. Revelation 20, no, 21, verse 8. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And if it were not enough, the next chapter, verse chapter 22, verse 15, again, the same truth is repeated. Chapter 22, verse 15. But outside are dogs, Sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, 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 and whosoever loves and practices a lie. Ah. I just have to finish with this because I still have to zero in on this a little bit. Briefly, but one of the most tragic summary 
of anybody's life is the life of Jehu. He was executing God's judgment, and that was correct. And the Lord says, because you have done this, four generations will sit on the throne of Israel. Four. It's quite a reward. Quite a reward. Depending how long the second son and the third generation rules, you know, one or two years, it's not so good. But if 30, 40 years, then that's quite a bit. But anyhow, the Lord says, because you have done this, four generations of your dynasty will rule. But, but, the scripture says, Jehu never served the Lord with all his heart, He never turned from the golden calves that were set up in Israel. He remained an idol worshiper. And in my humble opinion, because of that, he will not be among the saved. Brethren, it's a serious issue. It scares me. It scares me. And I'm asking myself, Lord, while I am preaching, you remember the Apostle Paul said this, the Apostle Paul, why I preach to others, I myself not be a castaway individual. And I am afraid Lord, am I what I claim to be? It's a serious issue, brethren, and a serious issue in the sense that I have to deal honestly with myself. You have to deal honestly with yourself. And it's easy to slay somebody who is weaker than you. And of course, Jehu did this. He was a trained military. He drove like crazy, you know. He was famous for reckless driving. Maybe if he had a car, he probably would have a 12-cylinder engine and just drive down the main street. But the point is... Deep in my heart, do I love the Lord supremely? What is the first commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And brethren, I pray that the good Lord would help me not allow my carnal mind to deceive Igor. And you pray for yourself. Now in closing, and really closing, I had a serious burden to share. I hope I didn't offend any of you. Here is a book. What is the topic of our Sabbath school 
quarterly this this quarter. Education, education. Written by Marion Barry, who in the late 80s, early 90s, was the educational secretary of the Ohio Conference in charge of all the teachers, schools, and so on. She was an employee of the Ohio Conference, educational secretary. The title of this book, Warning, in the 1260, 1290, 1,335 day timelines in Daniel 12. And here is a spirit of prophecy quote here. Let us read and study the 12th chapter of Daniel. It is a warning we shall all need to understand before the time of the end. Um, just for a moment, I, I honestly will be brief. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 12. Okay? Daniel chapter 12. And I begin with verse 1. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And uh, verse 12, verse 12, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,300 and 35 days. There are three timelines in this. Uh, brethren, I don't have to tell you that Michael didn't stand up yet. This is still future, correct? I mean, I, 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 this is so obvious. I don't have to prove it to you. I told myself that I should be careful. Ron? You should have put this podium a little bit further, this way. But anyhow, this is future. This is future. But there is a time element here. And if you study this book, there are no eyes, no wings, no mouth, no symbolism in chapter 12. You follow me? No symbolism. When there is no symbolism, you interpret it literally, which means the 1260, the 1290, and the 1335 days are literal days. 
three and a half years, a little bit more than three and a half years. In closing, <clears throat> when Jesus was hanging on the cross, I better stay here. <clears throat> we are told that the devil told him, you are paying the price, the wages of death, oh, pardon me, the wages of sin is what? But what kind of a death? The second death. The first death is a sleep, brethren. It's a sleep. When it says the wages of sin is death, it refers to the second death. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, the devil was whispering in his ear, you will be dead forever. Because that's a price. And the inspiration tells us he did not see through. Are you with me, brother? Yes, while he was walking with the disciples, he told them many times, the third day I will rise. But when he was hanging on the cross, all the darkness around him He only knew that he has to die the second death. And he made up his mind, even if I have to stay in the grave forever, I will die. Pay the price. But I want you to know one thing. It's extremely important. What carried him through? What carried him? him through. Inspiration tells us that it was the previous experiences in his life. He trusted his father. I don't understand everything and now I don't see through. But I know my father. And what were his last words on the cross? What were his last words? Father, Into the hand I commit my soul. And he bowed his head and died. Brethren, when Michael stands up and the real trouble will start, and maybe we have a little foretaste now with this COVID-9, I'm not saying, but just a little foretaste. Things can go wrong fast and fast and fast. There will be time when you won't see through. But if you learn to trust Jesus, even if you don't see through, you will be able to say like Jesus, Father, into your hand I commit my soul. And will not last forever like the devil tries to us believe you follow me I'm, I'm simply saying brethren study these things for yourself
I love you. Even if you don't believe what I believe, I think I believe the correct thing, but hey, we are still brothers and sisters. The Lord died for you. You are his. I love you. But don't pick up stones at me, okay? Just be kind to me. I'm an old man. I need a little sympathy here and there. But study these things, brethren. Study these things for yourself. And the Lord will bless you. In this context, and this is my last sentence, honestly, before I knock this down. It is my personal conviction that in the context of Seventh-day Adventist understanding of prophecy, last-generation theology is a must. Now, that's my personal conviction. I know there are many who don't agree with me. That's fine. But it is a firm conviction in my mind that what last-generation theology teaches is true and if you haven't read it there are ten essays that Kevin Paulson has written I tried to pass out at least one or two here many weeks ago many months ago brethren it's essential to our success thank you again the Lord bless you Appreciate your patience.